theyeshiva.net. So today's class is dedicated by Dr. Yisrael and Chani Kaplan in honor and for Mazel Tov for the upcoming marriage of Shayna Dinnerman to Simcha Friend on Lagba Oimer. Simcha Friend at Lag, on Lagba Oimer this year, 5782. Tovshin Peibes, Mazel Tov, Mazel Tov, and Abinyan. Adeyad and all of the brachas and hatzlachas, ad dai. thank you very much. One of the most uh, ingrained institutions in Jewish life is what we call brachas, blessings. Chazal, our sages, instituted that we make brachas, and there are different types of blessings. There's what's called birchas ha-mitzvahs, the blessing you make before you do a mitzvah. For example, before you light Shabbos candles, you say, Baruch atah Hashem alakeinu malachai lam asha kadishonu v'mitzvah Shabbos kaidish. Or before somebody fixes a mezuzah or separates challah. Most mitzvahs have a bracha that we say before, before lighting Hanukkah candles, before reading the Megillah, before eating matzah, before blowing shofar, etc. And then there are what's called birchas hanenin. Birchas hanenin means brachas, blessings that we make, for enjoyable experiences. And of course, the most common is eating and drinking. Before we eat or before we drink, whether it's a glass of water or a cup of coffee, whether it's eating a tomato or a potato, chicken or an egg or a piece of cheese, there's blessings. And there's different types of blessings. If I'm eating bread, if I'm drinking wine, if I'm eating cake, if I'm eating meat, if I'm eating fish, salads, vegetables or fruits, as we know, different types of blessings. But they all go into the to the rubric, to the genre of birches hanenin, blessings for enjoyable things. And it's not only eating and drinking. Before we smell or other types of hana, other types of uh, enjoyable experiences, the Chazal instituted various brachas, various blessings. This also includes the birches hashacha. When we wake up in the morning, there's the whole list of birches hashacha, the blessings we say in the morning, which are essentially blessings in which we express gratitude for the gifts, for the gift of living for the gift of waking up, the ability to be able to see, the ability to, be, to, to move our limbs, the ability to walk, the ability to step on the, to step on, on the earth, etc., all of the list of Birches HaShacha. Today we're going to try to dissect the underlying theme under all these blessings. So let's begin with our first source, which is Meseches Brachas Daf Lamed Hey. This is Tal the Gemara Brachas which is detracted, the Masech is dedicated to blessings. Daf Lamed, hey, page 35, Tanur Rabbanon, the rabbis taught, It's forbidden for a person to enjoy, benefit from this world without introducing it, without first making a bracha a blessing. If somebody does, if somebody does take enjoyment from this world without a bracha, mal, it's considered a case of me'ilah. The word me'ilah means misusing property that belongs to the Beis HaMikdash. If there's property that belongs to the Beis HaMikdash, say there's a, an animal, somebody dedicates an animal offering to the Beis HaMikdash, it's going to be a carbon, let's say an ox. And then I use that ox to plow my field. This is called me'ilah. I'm basically using property that belongs, so to speak, to the Rebbeinah Shalolam, to Hashem, to the Beis HaMikdash. 
and I'm using it for my own benefit, or anything, any of the assets, or any of the objects or items, alive or not alive, that belongs to the Besamikdash. It could be meal, it could be flour, it can be oil, it can be any item that belongs to the Besamikdash, and I then use it for my own use. This is called Meila. It's a misuse of the property of the Besamikdash without permission, and the person needs to, even if they do it inadvertently, by mistake, they didn't realize so I have to pay back a karen, I have to pay back the principal and add a chaymish and add a fifth. And there's even a carbon that's called asham me'ilois, a special offering of atonement that the person brings for me'ilah. So the Gemara says here that if I take enjoyment from this world, anything of this world, my banana that I want to eat this morning, without a blessing, it's a concept of me'ilah. I'm basically, so to speak, stealing or manipul- exploiting and using the property of the Beis Hamikdash without permission. The Gemara continues a few lines later. Rav Yehuda said in the name of Shmuel, He says it even more explicitly. Somebody who enjoys this world without a blessing, it's basically deriving benefit from Katshe Shemayim. Katshe Shemayim means sacred items that belong to heaven, that belong to Hashem. Like an offering of the Beis HaMikdash, it's called Katshe Shemayim, it's sacred, it's holy. Shenemar, what's the source? Because the Pasuk says in Tehillim, Lashem The whole earth, the planet earth, and everything that is contained on earth, anything that fills the earth, anything that walks on the earth, anything that's part of the earth, is really Lashem. It's all part of Hashem's property. It's His world. It's His world. So therefore, if I take it without a blessing, and I enjoy it, it's Nena Mikachi Shemayim from something that belongs to heaven that's sacred. That's what the Gemara says. In other words, the bracha is what allows me to eat it, to drink it, to have anah for my lamaz. And here, the commentators struggle with a fundamental question. The fundamental question is, one second, if you're saying that anything in this world, if I enjoy it without a bracha, it's me'ilah, it belongs, it's like it belongs to the Beis HaMikdash. belongs to Hashem. It's His property. It's under His domain and I'm now using it. What exactly happens when I make a blessing? When I make a blessing, is it pshat that now it gets taken out of Hashem's property? It's now taken out of Kachi Shemayim. doesn't, so to speak, belong to Hashem anymore. And therefore, it's not holy anymore. If it's not holy, it's mundane. They can eat it. That's what it would sound like. But that would be very strange. Because what happens by a blessing? What do you do in a blessing? In a blessing, you're actually acknowledging that it's Hashem's. So what's exactly this formula in halacha? What's this mechanism? Before I make a blessing, it's divine property. And after I make a blessing, it's like, okay, not holy anymore, mundane. So through making a bracha, you extricate it from a place of hektish. Hektish means it's holy, it belongs to hektish, means it belongs to the base hamikdash. That's when there is me'ilah. Me'ilah is when there's hektish. If it's not hektish, if it's not sacred, there's no me'ilah. Right? If I use this bottle of water, it's not me'ilah. I'm allowed to use this bottle of water. I mean, if it belongs to you, I'm not allowed to take it without your permission. But it's not called me'ilah. If you take it from somebody else, it's called gzela or gneva. Me'ilah means it belongs to hektish. So the Gemara is saying it belongs to hektish. And when you make a bracha, what happens? Through the bracha, it doesn't become, it's not hektish anymore. It's a very strange formula. But there's really... Let's let's let, let's put the question a little bit in different words, so it uh, it becomes clear. 
if it's really hektish, if it's really sacred, if it's really divine property, and therefore I'm not allowed to benefit from it, so what exactly happens through the blessing? Does the blessing extricate it from kachi shamayim, from holiness? That would be strange because the bracha acknowledges that it belongs to God. So you're going to say, no, of course not. The blessing doesn't take it out of hektish. It still remains hektish. If it still remains hektish, so then how am I allowed to use it? If I make a bracha on hektish, I'm not allowed to use it. Me'ila is even if you make a bracha. Let's put the question maybe in clearer terms. How are we supposed to understand this whole concept of bracha? As we say, memonavshach. Whichever way you look at it, it's a little perplexing. If Hashem gives me permission to use the world, so then even if I don't make a blessing, I'm not stealing from Him. If you give me permission to eat from your home or to use your drinks, so then I'm not stealing. If Hashem gives us permission to benefit from the world, so then it's not me'ilah. I'm not misusing hektish. The Rebbeinu Shalom gave me permission. If He doesn't give us permission... If he doesn't give us permission, like in real me'ilah, I'm not allowed to use what belongs to the Beis HaMikdash, what does a blessing help? Saying thank you helps. You know, there's an old anecdote about a tourist who came to Israel. And he was, uh, it was a hot July day. And he was walking around up north. And he was really, really starving and thirsty. And uh, he suddenly sees a beautiful orchard with a large vine tree. So he goes in and it has this most delicious, lush grapes. And he starts eating the grapes. And the owner comes out to his porch and sees this American tourist eating one grape after another grape after another grape and really, you know, satiating himself with his grapes. And he starts hollering. He says, Sir, don't you know that there's a Pasuk that says in Parshish Yisroi, Loi Signoiv? It's one of the Aserah Sadibris. You're not allowed to steal. And there's another Pasuk that says, Loi Signoivu. You shouldn't steal any money. And there's another Pasuk that says, Loi Signoil. This is Gnev and And the man looks up and he says, Wow, there's no country like Israel. You get to eat such delicious grapes, and while you're eating, you get to hear a Dvar Torah, too. <laughs> if, you, if you don't give me permission to eat something, making a bracha, I could say, thank you, thank you, it's yours, I know it's yours. Okay. Doesn't mean I'm allowed to eat it <laughs> before I make a bracha. I'm not allowed, to, once I make a bracha, I'm allowed to steal from you. So you say, no, God gives us permission. Okay, if he gives us permission... So then, even if I don't make it's nice to make a bracha, it's a beautiful thing to make a bracha. Why are you calling it me'ila? Why are you calling it nana mikachi shemaim? And the truth is, Hashem did give us permission to eat. He told Adam and Chava, right when he created them, he gave them the right to enjoy the world, to build the world, to protect the world, to heal the world, to repair the world, but also to enjoy the world. So he gave us permission. In fact, for many generations, there were no brachas besides birchas hamazan that already exists from the time of Moshe. The blessings that we make before we eat and before we drink were created by the Chazal, by the Anshei Knesset Sagdoyle in the beginning of the second Beis HaMikdash. So they ate without a bracha. So on a most simple level, one might say, the Chazal are just saying something simple, something straightforward. And that is, before you eat, you should say thank you. You should acknowledge the fact that this comes from Hashem, it's his food. Shahaka, like we say, Baruch atah Hashem alekeinu malachaylam. Hamaytzi lechem in he extracts the bread from the earth. Or Baruch priya ha'adama, he creates the fruit from the ground. Or Baruch priya ha'etz, he created the fruit of the tree. Or Shahakal niya bedvare, everything came into existence through his word. Or Baruch priya ha'gafam, Baruch minim mizaynus, whatever the exact text of the bracha is. It's basically a form of gratitude, of expressing gratitude before I eat, to meditate for a moment, that this peach, 
didn't just emerge in a vacuum. This apple didn't just emerge in a vacuum. This piece of bread didn't just emerge in a vacuum. There's a process, there's a mechanism, and never to take for granted the miracle of life and the fact that our earth produces this type of food that works for our organisms to replenish it and to give it the nutrients, the oxygen, the nutrients and the vitality that it needs in order to live. Now, that's a beautiful idea, it's a beautiful concept. But the Chazal then could have said it very simply. They could have just said, before you eat, you should be grateful, you should say thank you, and that's why you make a blessing. But their formula, the language they use, is a little different. Not just a little different, a lot different. They say, if you eat without a bracha, it's mi'ilo. It's taking something from the Beis Hamikdash. It's taking something from Hektish. <laughs> so what happens through the bracha? It's not Hektish anymore. Or you're going to say, Hashem gives you permission to use Hektish after the bracha. What happens? Why? It's not Hektish. If it's Hektish, I'm not allowed to use it. What exactly are they trying to say what the bracha accomplishes? There's something also interesting. If you continue in your second source, the Gemara continues, Rabbi Levi Rami. Rabbi Levi asked a question. Ksiv, it says, Lashem The whole world belongs to Hashem. Uksiv, there's another pasuk in Tehillim. We say it in Halal. Hashemayim, Shemayim, Lashem, Adam. In fact, these are two verses in Tehillim. One is in Kapitel Chavdalit, and one is later in Tehillim, in the Kapitel of Tehillim, Kapitel Kuf Tesvav. Hashemayim, Shemayim, Lashem. The heaven is Hashem's. Adam. And the earth he gave to people. So Rabbi Levi says, I don't understand. One place in Tehillim it says, Lashem the earth belongs to Hashem. In another place it says, He granted the earth to people. So the Levi says, there's a contradiction. Who does the Eretz? Who does our planet belong to? One place says it belongs to Hashem, and one place it says it belongs to people. So the Gemara says, La Kashi. It's not a contradiction. Kan Kaidim Bracha, Kan La'acha Bracha. One Pasuk is talking before a Bracha, one Pasuk is talking after a Bracha. In other words, before I make a blessing, Lashem Ha'aretzim Loya. It belongs to Hashem. And therefore, if I eat it then, I'm stealing. I'm taking something that belongs to God and I'm using it for my own benefit. That's theft. And it's not just theft, as the Gemara continues later, it's me'ila. It's taking from the base of Mikdash. It's taking Kach Shemayim. After a bracha, oh, now it changes. Ha'aretz nasen adam. Now the earth was given to people. And here again, we have to understand. This is again very interesting. If I don't make a blessing, who does it belong to? Hashem. Once I make a blessing, what do you say in the blessing? In the blessing you say that it's his, suddenly, oh, now it's not his anymore, now it belongs to you. Again, I can understand when you tell me that the blessing is just there to say thank you. I come to your home, you're giving me food, I say thank you, thank you for allowing me to enjoy your food. But the Gemara again formulates it in a very interesting way. Before the bracha, it's his. And after the bracha, now it's yours. So now it's not his anymore. By saying the bracha, it was extricated, so to speak, from his domain. How are we supposed to understand the formula that the Chazal are giving us here for brachas? So, you know, a lot of people, when you read these things, it's more like, we don't sometimes look too deep into it. It's just a way of saying thank you, as I said, gratitude. But you could see from their language that they're referring to something, a specific idea. That's why they use the word me'ila. They use the word nene mikachi shamayim. They use the word nasen levene adam la'acha bracha. To understand this, we're going to change the subject for a moment to discuss another theme which will then bring us back to us. There were different types of foods that were eaten throughout Jewish history. One of them is known as truma. What is truma? Truma, which is discussed in Parshas Emmer and in other Parshias, 
Truma is sacred food. It literally means tithing, that which you separate or that which you uplift. Because Jewish law obligated Jews living in Eretz Yisrael who produced their harvest and their fields and their farms and their, and their, uh, their orchards to give a certain percentage of the food to those who needed it. One of those taxations of tzedakah is called truma. Basically, approximately 2%, let's say I'm growing wheat or any grain or other fruits or vegetables. So 2% of my grain, I separate and I give it to the kayan. I can give it to any kayan. The kayanim didn't own property. They didn't own fields. They worked in the Beis HaMikdash or they were teachers. They taught. They were, so to speak, the spiritual um, representatives of the Jewish people who were involved in serving in the Beis HaMikdash or learning or teaching. So the other Jewish people supported them. And one of the ways they got their food was that if a Jew owned earth, owned a field, so 2% of the grain that was grown was given to the Kayanim, this is called truma. Truma is sacred food, it's holy food. Another Jew is not allowed to eat truma. Once the truma is separated, it has a Kedusha. A Levi is not allowed to eat it, a Yisrael is not allowed to eat it. And it's so serious that there's a penalty, if somebody does it willingly, there's a penalty of Misa Shamayim, a penalty of heavenly death, unless the person does tshuva. That's how allergic a regular person is. It's like if I'm taking in something, some medicines, for one person it's a lifesaver, and for another person it's toxic. For one person a certain energy is very helpful, for another person it can actually be very destructive. So truma is that type of food. For the kayan it's sacred. But somebody else who eats truma, it's actually very damaging because it has a very intense holiness that's not good for your system. So there's a penalty of misabedei shamayim. So any Levi Yisrael is never allowed to eat truma. Only kayanim are allowed to eat truma. The same is true with other foods that were sacred, certain karbanos, certain offerings, or parts of offerings that could be eaten only by kayanim, and nobody else can eat those foods. They belonged exclusively to the kayanim, and this was a very sacred food that belonged to kayanim. And here we have a very interesting halacha. And that's what I want to read with you in your next source. Rambam Hilchis Truma is Vav. Says the Rambam. Truma, or Truma Smeiser. When you have Truma, again, what's Truma? Truma is the 2% of grain, or vegetables, or fruits, that are given to Koyanim, to eat and enjoy. What's Truma Smeiser? Truma Smeiser is something very interesting. In addition to the 2% that you gave to the Koyan, you gave another 10% to the Levium. The Levium also didn't own their own properties or run their own businesses. They also worked in the Beis HaMikdash. And they also served as spiritual mentors and teachers. So Kayanim would get Truma and Levium would get Meiser. So if I have, let's say, I'm growing a uh, hundred stalks, I have a hundred pounds of wheat. A hundred pounds of wheat. So 2% I gave to a Kayan. After I gave that, that's Truma. Now I have 98% left. 10% of 98 now, I give to a levy. These are the taxations of tzedakah that Hashem obligated the Jew to give a certain amount. Just like today we give tzedakah, you give meiser. The word meiser means me'eser, one of 10, me'eser, one of 10. So 10%, which means 9.8, I give to the levy. That's called meiser risha. And then there was another 10% after that, after 9.8, what am I left with? I gave away 2%, so I have 98%. Now I do 9.8, so I have around 89. Now I give another 10% that goes either to Yerushalayim or to poor people. Depends on the year during the seven-year cycle. 
The Leviim got 10%. There were many more Leviim than Kayanim, of course, because Leviim is everybody from the tribe of Levi. Kayanim are only descendants of Aaron HaKoyen, just one particular family of the tribe of Levi who worked in the Beis HaMikdash, bringing the Karbanas. The Levim also worked in the Beis HaMikdash, but in a different role. When the Levi gets Meiser, 10%, he has to give 10% of his 10% also to the Koyen. That's called Trumas Meiser. The Truma that you get from Meiser. So the Koyen gets Truma from me, the owner of the farm, and he gets another Truma from the Meiser that the Levi got. That's called Trumas Meiser. Okay, it's clear? So this truma is sacred food. Nobody besides the Kayan is allowed to eat it. As I said, there's a very serious penalty if I eat it willingly. If I eat it unwillingly, I also have to pay back the Kayan. There's again a penalty there too. Says the Rambam, Truma, Truma, Smeiser, Necheles, Lekayanim. Could be eaten only by Kayanim. Beng Doilim, Beng Tanim. No difference if they're adults or they're minors. I don't need a Kayan who's ba mitzvah. Even a baby, a child Kayan can eat truma. Bein Scharim, Bein Nekevis. No difference a male koyen or a female koyen. A koyen may have a daughter who's two years old, three years old. She eats the truma just like her father, just like her brothers. Everybody of the koyen family can eat truma. Haim, they themselves, va'avadeim haknanim. And also their non-Jewish slaves can eat truma. And not only that, behemton, their animals can eat truma. Now, what is an Evet Knaini? Let's give the definition. An Evet Knaini is there were two types of servants in the ancient world. An Evet Ivri means a Jewish servant, which means there's a Jew who doesn't, is completely broke. He doesn't have literally anything. And he has a wife, and he has children, and he has to support himself. And there's a time when there's no food stamps, and there's no other benefits or grants. So Vas Tutman, he's literally desperate. The man is desperate. So what does he do? He sells himself as a servant to another Jew. This is called an Evid Ivri. Now, <laughs> we use the word slave, it's really not the definition of a slave as we're used to the common concept of slavery for two reasons. First of all, he can't sell himself for more than six years. So it's more like a lease rather than slavery in the sense it can only be a contract for six years. It means after six years he's going out. Unless he wants to stay, he could stay till Yoival, he could stay till the 50th year. Besides that, the Eved Ivri has to be treated with tremendous dignity to the point that the Gemara tells in Kedushan that if you only have one pillow in the house, who do you think gets it? You don't get it, your slave gets it. If there's only one piece of chicken in the house, right? So you eat lakshan and the slave eats chicken. <laughs> if there's only one roll of sushi, yeah? You eat potato and he gets the sushi. To the point that the Gemara summarizes it and says, <laughs> If you acquire a Jewish servant, you basically acquired a master. So be careful. <laughs> it's like sometimes, you know, you say, you're hiring this employee, you didn't hire an employee, you hired your boss. It may take a few years, but, uh, but you may see that. So that's called an Evid Ivri. An Evid Ivri basically belongs to himself. It's just like he made a lease with you, and for six years he has to work for you. So it's called an Evid because he's a servant. He's, he has to work for you every day according to, uh, according to, the, to the rules of the, according to halacha. Then there's something called Evet Knaini. Evet Knaini was a completely different category. Evet Knaini is, as it sounds like, a non-Jewish Evet, a non-Jewish servant who is purchased by a Jew and undergoes some form of conversion. And halachically, he has the status of being semi-Jewish. Not fully Jewish, but semi-Jewish. He has to go through a bris, obviously, if it's a male Evet, not a... Obviously, a shivcha kneinis would obviously have a different category. And he's obligated in some mitzvahs, not in all the mitzvahs. He's exempt from all the mitzvahs essay shazman grama. Just like a woman, the Torah obligates her from the mitzvahs essay shazman grama, like tefillin or tzitzis 
or Sfirasaimer or Sukkah, all the mitzvahs that are time-bound, she's exempt because of her preoccupation with raising a family. So therefore the Evet Knaini is also exempt from many, many of the mitzvahs. He can't work on Shabbos, of course. Even your animals can't work on Shabbos. So Shabbos, he had a day off. So this was an Evet Knaini. Yesterday he wasn't Jewish, and today he's semi-Jewish. If you emancipate him, if you emancipate your Evet Knaini, he becomes a full Jew. But till that point, he is considered an Evet, and therefore he has a semi-status of a Jew. So the Rambam says, the Evet Knaini can also eat Truma if he belongs to the Kayan. And not only that, the animals as well. Shenemar, the Pasuk says in Emer, When a Kayan purchases a soul, it's an acquisition of his money, he can also eat Truma. And the Rambam says, even Evet Kayan Shabarach, if a Kayan has a servant who ran away, he escaped, or the Kayan has a wife who also rebelled against him. She's not interested, she doesn't want to be with him, but they're not divorced. They could still continue eating truma because she is legally still married to him. And the Evid is still his Evid, even though he ran, he fled, he's not home, and therefore he's not in the house of his master, they can eat truma. And the next source, Mishnah Meseches Trumas Pedicure Aleph, the 11th chapter of Mishnah is Trumas, Karshine Truma, which means kernels of truma. You could give them to eat to an animal, a domesticated animal. A chaya is even an undomesticated animal if you own it, let's say like a deer. Will it turn a and to your chickens, to your roosters? You can give them all, the kayan can give them seeds of truma. Now here is a fascinating and very perplexing question. And I saw it's raised by the Svas Emes. Svas Emes, Emer Tofresh Samach Aleph 1801, raises the question in very sharp terms. Your next source. Vezed Varpela. This is very strange. The Holy One, the holiest Jew, if he's not a Kayan, if he's a Yisrael, is forbidden to eat Truma. And the servant of the Kayan, the slave of the Kayan, who's semi-Jewish, and the animal of the Kayan, who's certainly not Jewish, they're allowed to eat Truma and understand the question. Truma is absolutely sacred food. It's like divine food. It's holy food. So if Moshe Rabbeinu, assuming that Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't a Kayan, there's two opinions in Gemara, if Moshe was considered a Kayan or just a Levi. But let's say Moshe Rabbeinu was not a Kayan. So if Moshe Rabbeinu, if Moshe Rabbeinu, or David HaMelech, or Shloima HaMelech, who are not Kayanim, wonderful people, but not Kayanim, Shmuel Hanavi, Great people, but not Koyanim. Rabbi Akiva, Rashi, the Rambam himself, Rabbi Huda Anasi, Hillel Azokin, the greatest giants of the Jewish people, HaKadosh Rabbi Yisrael, Rabbi Shimon Ben Yechai, the Arizal, the holiest of the holy. If they eat Truma, there's a penalty of Misa B'day Shemayim, a heavenly death. That's how damaging, that's how destructive it is for their soul. And here you have a behemoth, an animal, a chicken, Who's allowed to eat this truma? Here you have an Evet Knaini. A few hours ago, he wasn't even Jewish. Or a Shifcha Knainis, a maid that came from the non-Jewish world. They just went through a conversion, a semi-conversion. And they now are in the house of the Kayan. And the halacha is that this Evet Knaini is allowed to eat truma. Not only is it not Misa B'day Shemaim, not only is there no penalty, the Kayan could serve the Evet, the Evet Knaini truma. How are we supposed to understand this? It's a very, very strange phenomenon. He says, it's a Dvar Pella. You have such a holy food. The holiest Jew in the world is not allowed to eat it. Why? 
He's not a Kayan. <laughs> Sorry, he's not a Kayan. He's not allowed to eat it. He's not allowed to digest this food. And here, this Evet Knaini is allowed to eat the Truma. It seems so strange. He's holy enough for the Truma, and Moshe Rabbeinu is not holy enough for the Truma. How are we supposed to understand this? The answer to this is we have to understand the definition what it means that the chicken of the Kayan eats Truma, or the cow of the Kayan, or the donkey of the Kayan. Doesn't have to be a kosher animal. It could be a behema, a chaya, tarnagal, kosher, not kosher. If a Kayan owns a donkey, he can give the donkey kashine truma. So you have here a fascinating thing. The trefa animal is eating truma. You're giving this holy food kashine truma. You don't give them food that's edible for people, but you give them food that's not edible. That's why he says kashine, seeds, kernels. And yet the holiest Jew, sorry, this is too holy. You're not allowed to. Something very strange, very enigmatic. The answer to this is, we have to look at the words of the Pasuk. The next source, Parshas Emer, Perik Chav Beis, Pasuk Yeralef. If he acquires a soul. What does it mean he acquires a soul? He purchases a non-Jewish servant. Kinyin Kaspehu. This is the acquisition that came from his money. Who Kinyin Kaspehu. Who it's now the acquisition of his money, meaning it's part of his his estate, so to speak. Who Yoichalboy? That servant is allowed to eat truma. Vilid Beisai, and the one born in his home, maybe a child of that servant, Haim Yoichlu Balachmai. They can all partake in the bread of the Kayan, even though it's truma. Most truma was turned into bread because it was grain, wheat or barley or spelt or oats or rye. But the initial most truma, or at least much, much truma was, was, was grain. So that's why it's lachma, it was turned into bread. They're allowed to eat the bread. So the Rambam explains, Pirusha Rambam, Trumas Perikud Aleph. The Rambam has a commentary on Mishnayis. So chapter 11 of Mishnayis, Trumas, he says, Viyadua, Kikshayikna Akoyin Behema, when a Koyin purchases an animal, who machila truma, he could feed her truma. Lamaimer Hashem Yisala, Vichoyin Kiyikna Nefesh Kinyan Kaspa. Because it's the acquisition of his money, it now belongs to him. He can feed this animal truma. If a kayan rents an animal, you know today sometimes people rent a car. In the ancient world, you may rent a donkey, or you may rent a horse, or you may rent a camel, or you may rent an ox. You need an ox to plow your field, you rent. You pay somebody to rent it. So now the kayan has to feed the animal. He has the animal for a week. You've got to feed the animal. You've got to feed the puppy. So he says, then the kayan can't feed the animal truma. Why? Because he doesn't own it. Even though he's renting it, he's responsible for it. He has to take care of it. If I rent your car, I have to take care of your car. I can't just let it become a shipwreck. I'm responsible for the animal. It's, it's, as a shimer, I'm a custodian, but it's not mine. It's yours. I rented it from you. I have to give it back to you in a week, in a month, whatever the time is, whatever the lease is. So therefore, that animal, the Kayan, can't feed Truma. What is the Rambam explaining to us? He's saying the definition here. The reason the animal of the Kayan can eat Truma is because the animal belongs to the Kayan. It's Kenyan Kaspai. It's part of the property of the Kayan. So when you say, I don't understand, how can a chicken eat Truma, a Chaya eat Truma, a Behemah eat Truma, and Moshe Rabbeinu can't eat Truma? The answer is, when the chicken, when my, if I'm a Kayan, when my chicken is eating Truma, my chicken is not eating Truma because the chicken eats Truma. Because the chicken is completely subservient to the Kayan. The chicken belongs to the Kayan. The chicken is, so to speak, part of the, of the household, of the domain of the Kayan. 
Just like nobody's going to ask a question, if a Kayan marries his wife, she's not a Kayan. She's the daughter of a Yisrael. Is she allowed to eat from? Of course she's allowed to eat from. Even if she's not home, she's allowed to eat from. Why? The answer is Ishtay Kagufa. Because marriage takes two people, turns them into one unit, one entity. Ishtay Kagufa, the Gemara says, the wife is like part of his body. Chazal say a person has to love his wife as much as he loves himself and respect her even more than he respects himself. Oyev, as ishtay kegufay, yomachabda, yoysimi gufay. Ishtay kegufay damya. It's like two parts of one, like it says in Zoyar, by Yikra Shimon says that a man and a woman, it's like plaguf, it's like two halves of one body, or two halves of one soul, like other men chava. So therefore, once they're married, she's part of the kayan. The kayan is part of her. So when she's eating truma, it's because she's part of the kayan. Lahavdil, not to compare a person to an animal, when the kayan has a behemah, the behemah is not considered a separate entity outside of the world of the kayan. The behemah is subsumed. The behemah is, belongs to the kayan. The behemah is like an extension of the kayan. It doesn't have its own identity. Whose chicken is it? It's the kayan's chicken. So the kayan, the, the kayan has to feed the chicken. He has to take care of his chicken. So the chicken eats the truma. Or the behemoth, the chaya, as an extension of the kind. The same is true with an evet. Again, lahavdal between a person and an animal. The halach is, chazal say, yad evet ki yad rabbi. The arm of a servant is like the arm of his master. Or chazal say in Kiddushin, mashekana evet kana rabbi. What a servant acquires, the master acquires. Why? Because the evet, as long as he or she belongs to the kayan, they are like an extension of the kayan. Just like the kayan has a child. A child. The child is allowed to eat truma. The child doesn't work in the Beis HaMikdash, but the child and the Kayin, they're one. As long as the Evid belongs to the Kayin, so it's like Yad Evid Ke Yad Rabbi. It's like an extended arm of the Master. Mashekan Evid Kana Rabbi. Why? Because the Evid doesn't have his own separate identity. The Evid belongs to the Kayin. He's an extension of the Kayin. It's almost like he's a continuum of the Kayin. So when he eats Truma, who's eating Truma? The Kayin is eating Truma. If the Evid, when Moshe Rabbeinu eats Truma, Right? When Rabbi Akiva eats truma, they may be the holiest first people in the world. But they're eating it as their own. They are eating it because of themselves. They have their own identity. They have their own identity. They have a distinct identity. So the Torah says, if you're not a Kanyan, I'll eat truma. The Evet Knaini, you can't compare the Evet Knaini to Moshe Rabbeinu. Of course not. But the Evet Knaini, now who is he? He's completely connected and like an extension of the Kayan. Not separate, not a separate identity. So when the Evid Kanani eats Truma, who's really eating the Truma? The Kayan is eating the Truma. And it's like a family, like part of the family. If he's part of the family, it's the Kayan's family eating the Truma. So therefore, the Evid Kanani is eating Truma. The Evid Ivri, even if you work for the Kayan for six years, for ten years, but if you have your own identity, I'm an employee of the Kayan. Kayan hires me to work in his house. I may be his bookkeeper. I may be his computer programmer. It's very nice. I may be in his house, but I can't eat truma. Why can't I eat truma? Because I'm not Kenyan Kaspi of the Kayan. I don't belong to the Kayan. I'm not an extension of the Kayan. I'm not part of his body. I'm not Ishtoy Kagufoy. I'm not married to the Kayan. I work for the Kayan. I'm an employee of the Kayan. Doesn't allow me to eat truma. That's the, that's the definition of this halacha. That's why the animal can eat. And the, and the, the, the holiest person can't eat. That's the answer to the Svasemis' question. That's why if the Kayan rents the animal, the animal can't eat truma. Why? Because it's rented, it's not bought. If, we, if you look at the next source, the same is true with Karbanas. Zvachim Perik He. The fifth chapter of Zvachim, we actually say every morning, 
before davening, you remember there's a chapter, it's called Ezehu Mekayman Shilzvachim. It's a chapter of Mishnayis where we go through the different halachas of offerings. So there's a line over there that we say every single morning, and we speak about different parts of karbonas that only kayanim are allowed to eat. So the Mishnah says, Hamuram Mehem. What gets separated from the carbon, kayotzebehem, like the rest of the carbon, Elashamuram, Nechola kayanim, Lineshayem, Velivneem, Uleavdehem. The parts of the carbon that are muram, that are segregated and given to the kayan, they can be eaten by the kayan, they can be eaten by his wife, they can be eaten by all of his children, and they can also be eaten by his servants. Again, if I'm not a kayan, I'm not allowed to eat it. Why is the Evid allowed to eat it? Just like the Evid is allowed to eat truma. Because Yad Evid ki Yad Rabbi. The Evid is an extension of the kayan. It's like it's the, his mouth is an extension of the kayan. Yeah. Right. No, so not everything. In, you're asking if everything in the house of the Kayan is Truma. No, Truma is only the 2% that was segregated from the Yisrael's grain and give it to the Kayan. And then the, two, then, then the other 10% that was given by the Levi to the Kayan. Only that was Truma. So the Kayan may have regular food in his house that anybody can eat. So the grandchildren visiting? So the grandchildren visiting depends what type of grandchildren. If it was the Kayan's son's children... So those children are kayanim. But if his daughter married a Yisrael, so then those grandchildren indeed can't eat truma. Right? Now let's say the kayan passes away. He only leaves this daughter and he only leaves these grandchildren as heirs. So here you have a situation where Yisraelim inherited a lot of truma. So they can't do anything with it. What are they going to do with it? But they can sell it to a kayan. The price is not going to be that steep. Because the supply is always, you know, you have to know about supply and demand. Truma doesn't go for that more, much money because there's not a big demand for it. Because a very small group of people can eat it. But that's a case where the grandchildren will inherit Truma from their Zaydi. They can't do anything with it because they're Yisraelim, because their father is a Yisrael. Their mother is a daughter of a Kayan. It may be a situation where he had no sons and they inherit the Truma from their mother. Maybe their mother is also not here. And therefore, what happens? They now have Truma. They don't have what to do with it, so they sell it to a Kayan. They don't have to give it to a Kayan. They inherited it rightfully, so they sell it to a Kayan. But again, the price is going to be pretty uh, low for it. You get it? So when the grandchildren come, the Kayan had to give them Cheerios that were not Truma. They may have had one box of Cheerios on which it said Truma, another box it said Chulun, and, uh, and they gave them the Chulun. So it's not like all the Kayan's food is Truma. That would be impossible because truma is only a small amount. The Kayan could go to the store and buy regular food. However, there was a, in the Kayan's house, there was always a section known for truma, and they were very careful with that because you couldn't allow that to become impure. And of course, if you had a guest coming, they couldn't eat that unless they're Kayanim, etc. So it's, a fa- it's really a fascinating thing. The Kayan could have, you know, the the greatest Jew of the generation sitting at his table, right? And the man wants to take a piece of chali. He says, no, 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 sorry. Not new. We got to get you, uh, you know, the sourdough truma chala is only for us. And uh, we got to get you the other chala, you know, with the oil and the sugar and this. No, I'm just joking. Truma, chulen can also be very healthy. And, uh, and then when the Evet Knaini comes, you know, he gets a piece of the truma. So it's almost like discrimination against this holy Jew. He's not allowed to eat the holy food. And then the Evet, who was yesterday not Jewish, he gets the truma. And that's what we're explaining. Because he's not a guest visiting the house. Rather, he is the house. He is an extension of the Kayan himself. So therefore, 
the holiness of the Kayan extends to his Evid because it's like one larger entity. According to all of this, after this introduction, we'll now be able to understand the depth of what a bracha is. I don't know if you see where we're going with this class, but let's now come back to our discussion. What is a bracha? We usually understand a bracha is just saying thank you. You invite me to your house for Shabbos. What do you do at the end of a meal? Right? You say, thank you. And what do you do before the meal? You say, thank you in advance. Thank you for having us. Thank you for your hospitality. It's so kind of you. It's so gracious of you. And then you sit down to eat. That's a menschlicher way of living. You say, thank you. Toda. Adank. Right? <laughs> when I was growing up, they used to tell an anecdote. In Lubavitch, they used to send every summer, they still send Bachrim, have summer off, they would send them on what's called Merkaz Shlichus to communities, small communities where there's no infrastructure, to meet Jews and inspire them and connect to them. And many communities were built from those visits. It already began in the 1940s in America. So uh, the Lubavitch Rebbe had his, his chief of staff, so to speak, his secretary, his, a Jew named Rabbi Chadakov, Rabbi Chayim Mordechai Isaac Chadakov. So he would give training to these yeshiva boys before they traveled of, you know, what to do, what not to do. So he would always have a special session with them and he would always say, you're going to go to a city and you're going to may, maybe there's still an old rav there, you know, from the old days and you're going to eat at his home Friday night. So make sure that at the end of the meal you go to the kitchen, you find the balabasta and you say thank you. You know, yeshiva bachim, you sometimes have to teach them these things, especially if nobody taught it to them earlier. I don't know why, but if nobody did. So he says, you make sure you don't leave the house before you go to the balabasta and you thank her for a delicious meal and for her warmth and hospitality and the good food and so forth. So they say there was a bacha who was somewhat abstract and the meal finished. He went to the kitchen. He asked the husband, where is your wife? He said, he's in the kitchen. So he went to the kitchen and he said, Rabbi Chadikov told me to tell you that the food was... Delicious. <laughs> so uh, the bottom line is, so we understand the bracha to say that to Hashem. After I eat, I bench. There's a bracha achroina. Whether it's alamichia, whether it's barinafashas, whether it's the blessing after brichas hamazan after bread, which is actually biblical. But even before we eat, I'm about to drink my cup of water. I say thank you. Thank you. And then I drink my water. What we're going to discover now is that there's some, that's all true. That's all true. But what the Gemara is telling us is something much deeper. The Gemara says, if I eat without a bracha, what is it? It's not just, I didn't say thank you. It was not nice. Shem gave me permission, but you should say thank you. That's what I would expect. That would make a lot of sense. The Gemara is saying that without a bracha, it's mi'ilah. It's holy. It's sacred. It's divine food. And we asked, what happens with a bracha? It's not divine, it's not holy, it's gone. It's now mundane. Now let's see what a bracha is. What is a bracha? Let's hear the words. We don't just say, Todaraba. We could do that. We could say, okay, a cup of water. Thank you, Hashem. You know that new organization, thank you, Hashem, right? So you could do, Todaraba, Hashem. I think there's a Hebrew song. Uh, what's the Hebrew song? Todara, whatever, one of those nice songs about thank you. Say thank you, Todaraba. A brach is actually somewhat intricate. Baruch atah, Hashem, Elokeinu, Melech ha'olam, whether it's shahakul niya b'dvare, b'yere priya eitz, ha'moytzi lachim anoriz, b'yere priya gom, b'yere minim ezaynas. The accomplishment of the brach is much more profound. When a Jew takes the food 
and makes a bracha, what am I saying in this bracha? Baruch atah Hashem Eloikeinu Melech Ha'olam. You're the king of the universe. You're the king. So what am I? You're the Melech Ha'olam. Ah, huh? oh, I'm your Eved. I'm an Eved Hashem. Ah, if you're an Eved Hashem, of course you can eat from my table. Of course you can eat the Hektish. You are Hektish. You're part of Hektish. That's what the bracha does. The bracha redefines the person, Melech HaOilam. It's not that the bracha makes it Ois Hektish. The bracha makes you Hektish. That's the word. The bracha redefines the person. I belong to Hashem. I'm, I'm part of you. I'm part of your domain, your property. Of course I can eat everything on his table. I'm one of the children. I'm one of the servants. And even if you're going to say, I feel like a behemoth. A behemoth can also eat. So I feel like an animal. But you're Hashem's animal. Because God's behemoth. I feel like an evid. I'm a servant. I'm not, but you're Hashem's evid. That's what the bracha achieves. In other words, to put it in these words, the bracha doesn't change the chefzeh. The bracha changes the gavre in yeshivish language. The bracha doesn't alter the object, the item, the food. Before the bracha, it was divine food. And after the bracha, it's earthy food. No. The bracha changes the gavra. The bracha alters the person partaking in the food. I become a different person consciously post-bracha versus before the bracha. The person is redefined. Ani, I'm now hektish. I'm part of the base hamikdash. It's like a koyin eating a carbon. It's like a koyin eating truma. In fact, the Gemara says in Sanhedrin Lamates, Eloikechem koyin hu. Your God is a koyin. The Gemara calls Hashem a koyin. So if Hashem is a koyin, Eloikechem koyin hu. So now I'm the evid of the koyin. Melech ha'olam. I'm the evid of the koyin. Nechel ha'koyinim l'nesheyim v'livneyim u'lavdeyim. Even the behemoth of a koyin can eat truma. And that's why we started with the word baruch. The word baruch actually doesn't mean thank you. There's another word for thank you. The word for thank you in Hebrew is toiv lahoidos. Moida ani. Moida ani lecha. Like toda rabah. Ani modelecha. I thank you. That's the word. Toda. There's something called carbon toida. A carbon of thanks, of gratitude. The word baruch, we translated it as blessed. What does really the word baruch mean? The word baruch in Hebrew, in modern Hebrew you call a pool brecha. Why brecha? The word baruch means when something extends, when something is communicated. Bracha means hamshacha. For example, in Mishnayis you'll have hamavrich es hagefen. If you have a vine and you take a branch and you extend it, you want that the vine should grow from another place, so you take a branch, you extend it, you put it in the earth and you create a new vine. That's called bracha. That's why brecha is called a pool, because a pool is always drawing water from some source. Whether it's a faucet, it's a water reservoir, it's a wellspring, it's a river. The pool brings in the water and it becomes a brecha that extended the water from its source, whatever its source is, and it now creates a cistern or a pool filled with water. So why are we saying the word baruch? Because the fact that Hashem is melech ha'olam was true even before the bracha. What baruch is, it's creating the awareness of it, the consciousness of it. It's extending that awareness into my psyche. I'm breathing it into myself. Before I'm eating this peach, 
before I'm drinking this cup of coffee or this cup of tea or this cup of celery juice or, or uh, coconut milk. Whatever I'm drinking, I could say Coca-Cola, but I didn't want to ruin your appetite. But even Coca-Cola or Pepsi. <laughs> Baruch is the awareness. It's bringing into my consciousness the fact that Ata, Hashem, Eloikeinu, Melech HaOlam. Ah, oh, if this is who you are, ask is unto hate, my kind. <laughs> eat, eat, and eat more. Mishulchan Gavoy, the expression of Chazal, Mishulchan Gavoy, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm eating from the table of Hashem. Now that's the meaning when the Gemara says before the bracha, it's Lashem Ha'aretzum Loya. After the bracha, it's Ha'aretz Nasan Levenayadam. He gives the earth to people. And the question is, it's so, it seems strange. If I don't make a bracha, it belongs to Hashem. If I make a bracha, now it doesn't belong to Him anymore. Now He says it's yours. He says, okay, now I'm detaching from it. Now it's yours. Enjoy it. The idea here is, after a person makes a bracha, now the person is not separate from Hashem. Now the person acknowledges herself or himself to be part of the divine. So when you say, Hashem gave the earth to people, who did He give it to? He gave it to His, his, his extension, His ambassador, His partner. Chazal have an expression in Shabbos that a Jew becomes Shutaf Lakadish Baruch Hu a person could become a partner of Hashem in the work of repairing the world, of healing the world. When the person defines himself or herself as divine, Chazal say, Eved Melech, Hareyu Kemelech. In Meseches Shvuas, Memzayin. The servant of a Melech is like the king. And in Rashi, in Pashas Dvarim, and in Sifri, it says, Eved Melech, Melech, not even Kemelech. In Gemara, the expression is Eved Melech, Kemelech. In Sifri and Rashi and Dvarim, it says, Eved Melech, Melech. The Eved Melech is the Melech. What do you mean? He's not the Melech, he's the Eved Melech. A real Eved is Mashakana Eved Kana Rabbi. What the Eved acquires, the Master acquires. And the Rashi explains in Kedushan, it's not separate. It's not that I acquire it and then my Master acquires it. No. L'chathchila, when I acquired it, my Master acquired it already. Why? Because my eye is an extension of my Master's eye. So when the Jew makes a bracha... He or she is not separate anymore. You're not disconnected. You're not detached. You're a shutuf Kaddish Baruch You're an Eved Melech Melech. You're completely one with Hashem. So now you're an ambassador of Hashem in this world. You're a manifestation of Hashem's light in this world. So He gives you the earth. It's not separate anymore from Him. That's what La'ach Abracha says. The Aretz Nasan L'Vnei Adam is also God's. Because the Bnei Adam revealed that the whole earth is Hashem. And that includes also the person. You know how it is sometimes you have a guest in the house. And uh, how do you know that a guest feels really comfortable in your house? We always try to make guests feel comfortable. So I'll tell you my parameter. They can open the refrigerator themselves. You know what I mean? You have hosts. They're very nice. But you always have to serve you. What do you want? This, you want this, you want that. You know, sometimes I travel and I have to stay by somebody or, or whatever. So they say, how can I help you? I said, you can help me by not helping me. Imagine <laughs> I'm your teenage child who comes to the pantry a hundred times, you know, to check what food was created in the last five minutes since they opened the pantry five minutes ago. When somebody is a guest, they can't open the, they, I can't open the refrigerator. I have to wait. The moment, the moment you become a bambayas, so what's the definition? You open the refrigerator. Why? What's the difference? The guest feels, I can't open the refrigerator. It's not mine. I'll eat your food when you give it to me. 
The Ben Bayis, it's already um, part of the household. It's like a child opens the refrigerator. They don't say, Mommy, can I open the refrigerator? They feel comfortable. Why? Because we're one. It's one family unit. It's mishpacha. <laughs> it says in Svarim, it says in Allah that Yamtiv there's a mitzvah of Achnasas Archim. On Shabbos, it doesn't say there's a mitzvah of Achnasas Archim. It's a minig by Jews, Shabbos to do Achnasas Archim. But the mitzvah of Achnasas Archim says on Yamtiv. So there's a beautiful word. What's the difference? Shabbos is holier than Yamtiv. Because on Shabbos, the guest doesn't feel like a guest. Shabbos, there's such a holiness that the guest feels like completely part of the house. It's not a knosos archim, it's family. So when the Jew makes a bracha, it's like, I'm part of Hashem. So open the refrigerator, take, eat the truma, eat the karbonus. So I, it's kachi shemayim, of course it's kachi shemayim. But you're an evadakoyim, you can eat the kachi shemayim. I, it's truma, you can eat the truma. So after the Jew makes a bracha, Hashem could already give me the earth. He's not giving away the earth in a way that the earth is going to become disconnected. This full trust. If I'm Eved Melech Melech, he can give me the earth. Why? Because I'll transform it. The Kotzker Rebbe once said, Hashemayim Shemayim Lashem. Shemayim was given as God's. V'ha'aretz. And the earth, Nasan Levnei Adam. He gave to people so that they should transform it to heaven. Heaven is heaven. It's heaven on its own. They should reveal the heaven in the earth. That's what the bracha accomplishes. It's a different type of Eretz, because it's a different type of Ben Adam. It's a beautiful word from the Baal Shem Tov. We say at the end of Shema, Ani Hashem Aleikeichem, Asher Haitzesi Eschem Eretz Mitzrayim, Liyos Lachem Leiloikim. What is the meaning of that? I am your God. I have taken you out of Eretz Mitzrayim, of Egypt. Liyos Lachem Leiloikim. So that you, that I should become a God for you. So I'm your God who took you out of Egypt, so I should become your God. So the Baal once said that there's a deeper interpretation. You know why? Lachem is that which belongs to you. That even that which belongs to you, you should realize is part of a Lachem. Even that which is Lachem. It's your own. It's part of your own domain. Even that, you should realize, is completely one with the divine. There's no separateness. There's no detachment. Even your lachem should also be lelachim. is also permeated with godliness, with divinity. What does this mean in a person's life? There's a beautiful word from uh, Rebbe Rebbe Elimelech of Lezhensk. The Noyem Elimelech, he writes in Parshas Kairach. It says in Perkeyavis, Masrois Siag Oisher. Which means when you give miser, when you tithe, when you give tzedakah, it's a siyag, it's a, it's a fence, it's like a preparation for wealth. Because the Pasuk says, when you give charity, aser b'shvil shetis asher, aser ta aser, give tithes in order that you should get wealthy. Aser b'shvil shetis asher. So miseris <coughs> is a siyag, it's like the beginning, it's a fence in order to get closer to wealth. Rebbe Lemelech asks, usually when you say something is a siyag, it's a fence, it means it's not the main thing. The main thing is what's inside the fence, right? When you create a fence around something, it's like a protection. You say, you know, this is a very special thing. People come to a museum or they come to some very special place. So you put a gate around the prized item and the gate is getting close to it, but that the gate is not the objective. The gate is just like the prelude, the preparation. You know, you hold on to the gate, here it's funny, Maestro Siagla Aisha. 
So the, the Noyim Ali Malik says that that's the Pshat of the Mishnah. That a person should treat their money the way they treat their money, their own money, with such holiness that the maestres, the maestres that they give is only a siog la'oysher. It's only a fence that prepares for the wealth because the wealth that they have is so permeated with kedusha that even the maestres that they gave away is only a siog la'oysher. That's how holy the oysher becomes. That's how deep they recognize God's presence in the money that belongs to them. That even the maestres is only a siog la'oysher. They tell a story about the Megala Amukas. The Megala Amukas was a Jew named Reb Shapiro. He's a rabbi in Krakow. He passed away around the year 1640. It says on his Matseva in Krakow that he learned from Elio Hanovi. And at one point, the Megala, he wrote a sefer called Megala Amukas. We spoke about his sefer a few weeks ago. So at one point he decided he wants to leave the rabbinate in Krakow and he wants to move to a small town. So you should be able to sit and learn and daven all day. He was a very, very holy Jew. He just made a decision. You know, the, the, the burden of the rabbinate was very heavy. And he just wants to segregate himself. As he was already finalizing his decision and making the final preparations, two people came to him for a dintaira. They came for a court case. A wealthy Jew and a poor Jew. So he expected one of these classic situations where the wealthy Jew is bringing, the, where the poor Jew is bringing the wealthy Jew to court, to the rabbinical court, to ask for money that he feels the man owes him. But it was actually the other way around. The wealthy Jew was summoning the poor Jew to the rabbinical court. What happened? The wealthy Jew tells the Megala Amukas, you see this man, he owned a bagel store. He was a baker, he had a bakery, and he would make bread and bagels, but he was very poor. It was not successful. And I realized that he's struggling with finances. And I came to him and I said, listen, you're really made to learn. You're not made for this business. So why don't you close your store and you sit and learn and let's make a deal like Yisachar and Zvulun. We'll make a deal. Half of the mitzvah of your learning goes to me and I'll support you. Makes more sense. You do what you're good at. I'm making money anyway. I'll give you the money. Once a week, I'll give you what you need. We'll make a deal, and that's how it is. So the Jew said, fine, great, this Jew. And he did it for three months, and then he quit. He told me, no more, I'm going back to my bagel store. And it's not fear. We made a commitment. I'm supposed to support him. I want his mitzvah of learning, and he quit. So the Megala Mukas turns to this poor Jew and says, what happened? <laughs> he says, I'll tell you the truth. When I had the store... I always thought about Hashem. I always spoke to Hashem. The first thing is I would grind the kernels into flour. So I used to ask Hashem that the flour should be good flour. It shouldn't be rotten. It shouldn't be decomposed. It shouldn't be moldy. It should be good geschmacke, fine flour. So that the product should come out good. Then I would knead the dough. I would knead the flour with water and turn it into dough. I would ask that the dough should be as a good gedichte, robust dough. And then when I put it into the oven, I asked that the wood should be dry, <laughs> without worms and without moisture, so it should be a good fire, so that the baking should be good. And then I had finished, I would ask Hashem that everything should get sold. And I was always talking to God. Then I find myself learning. I'm learning. So I'm not talking to Hashem anymore. So he says, I decided it's not for me. I'm going back to my old store. So the Megala Mukis says, ah, 
If these are the Jews who live in Krakow, I'm not leaving the city. If this is the Dintaida of Krakow, this man wants that he should stop working so he could support him. And this man says learning is gewaldic, but he doesn't feel that same intimate relationship. So then he's staying in Krakow. Megal Hamuka stayed in Krakow and he's buried in Krakow, the cemetery of Krakow. I think that's Pratan Nanayim Elimelech. Sometimes Maestri Syogla Oisher. A Jew makes a bracha. It's not just he makes a bracha verbally. Baruch Hashem A Jew makes a bracha. It's a transformation of consciousness. It's really a meditation of tuning into who the person is. Once I redefine myself, the food is a different food. Why is the food a different food? Because the person is a different person. So the food doesn't become different in the sense that it's mundane. The food remains divine and sacred. But once the person is a transformed person. So for me, the food means something else. I can eat the holy food. I can eat the divine food. Because the food is not extricated from holiness. The person is transformed. So therefore, what does it really mean that Chazal instituted this, this, this institution of brachas? What it's really telling a person is, it helps a person redefine themselves. Because one of the great challenges that we have in life is when we feel detached, separate, broken, alone, alone, bothered, alone. What does the aloneness come from? I'm in my own orbit. I'm in my own space. How can I eat truma? I can't eat truma. How can I eat kachim? When the bracha, the Jew understands who are you? Who am I at every single moment? The bracha doesn't change the reality. The bracha is baruch. It reveals the reality. It extends the reality. I'm an extension of Hashem. If I'm an extension of Hashem, then who am I really? I am a piece of infinity. I'm a chelik elekamimal. Eved melech melech. A child is part of a father and a mother. An Eved is an extension of the master. Even a behemah is an extension of the master. So if that's the case, a person realizes that my very I is never ever separate. I'm never alone. The great anxiety that comes with life is as a result of experiences and a result of being through the ringer and as a result of challenges, the person starts looking at themselves as being disconnected, as being separate, as being on their own. And now I have to compensate for that connection through finding validation. But it's a very lonely place. It's an extremely lonely place because I'm trying to validate and find existence in something that doesn't have real substance. Because when I'm separate, I'm not living, I'm not anchored in real reality. I'm anchored in superficial reality. So I have to compensate for that superficiality by getting validation and feeling less lonely because I'm not feeling part of wholesomeness. So I need to find that wholesomeness in different ways, but it's always a distraction and it's never real wholesomeness because I'm trying to validate myself with things that I'm not really, really looking for. It's just to fill that void of being broken and separate and lonely. You understand what I'm saying, right? What does the bracha do? The bracha redefines the person. Kenyan Kaspoy. The person is redefined. Who am I? I'm Kedusha. I'm Hekdish. I didn't leave the base Amikdash. I'm part of the Kayan. I'm one, completely one. I'm completely aligned. Only in my awareness can I be misaligned. But in reality, I'm completely aligned. 
The moment I realize that I'm aligned, so even if I'm dealing with a struggle, or I'm going through a difficult situation, or I'm handling or dealing with something that may be uncomfortable, and it's tack uncomfortable, I have to work it through, I have to figure it out, I may have uncertainty, there's stuff that I have to deal with. But the moment I realize I'm not dealing with all of this as a detached human being, alone in a very cruel world, the very I that's dealing with it is, I'm dealing with it as Hashem's representative, as an extension of Hashem. It's Hashem dealing with it through me. I'm the facilitator. I'm the conduit. I'm the Eved. I'm your arm. I'm your mouthpiece. I'm your mind. I'm your heart. So you're working through all this darkness through me. Never separate. So now I have access to all the holiness in the world. Now I have access to all the sacredness in the world because the very I is a conduit for the Rebbeinu Shalalam. That's the revolution of what the Chazal meant, what a bracha accomplishes. Without the bracha, I'm nene, but I'm mal. I'm extricating hektish and I'm using it for something that doesn't belong to hektish. Nene mikotche shamayim. The bracha, you're not nene mikotche shamayim. As a separate person, you're an enemy Kachi Shamayim, you're enjoying Kachi Shamayim as part of Kachi Shamayim. Now let's see the words of the Svasemes, the last, the last source. Svasemes Emer Tofresh Samach Aleph. He asked the question before a Jew can't eat Truma, a Yisrael can't eat Truma, the holiest Yisrael. And an animal could eat truma. He says, Mishum she'eved legamri The Eved is completely bottle, completely one, completely subservient, completely aligned, committed to the master. Therefore, he can eat from his bread. And those are the key words. legamri They're not two separate beings. So you'll say, the holiest Jew can't eat. How can the Eved eat? The answer is, it's not the Eved eating it. It's the Odin eating it. It's not the servant eating it. It's the master eating it through the servant. Ah, you'll say he's a separate person. Physically, he's a separate person. But halachically, he's not separate. So you say, how are you eating God's food? The answer is, I'm not eating God's food. (laughs) Hashem is, so to speak, eating God's food. What do you mean? You, a person, is completely one with Hashem. Hashem is eating his food through you. You are his light in this world. This is a remez. This alludes to every single Jew. The soul comes from above, meaning it's divine. So the soul eats heavenly bread. How can the soul eat heavenly bread? The answer is because the soul is milmaila. Why shouldn't it eat a heavenly bread? It's heavenly, so it eats heavenly bread. What should it do? Eat earthly bread. The moment you align your body with your soul, so the body also eats the bread of the soul. The body also eats divine bread. Even the physical bread, it's divine bread. That's what a bracha is. It's divine bread. And I'm divine. My soul and my body. So you eat divine bread. In the generation of the desert, it wasn't only they made a bracha, 
this was very physical because the man was heavenly bread. In fact, it says in Asarim Amaris that Amem Ifanu writes, what bracha did they make on the man? He says, Baruch atah Hashem alekeinu melech ha'olam ha'moitzi lechem min ha'shamayim. They couldn't say min ha'aretz. It didn't grow from the earth. It grew, it came from heaven. It's interesting that he says that they made a bracha on the man even though brachas were instituted later. And the Gemara says that it's called the bread that angels eat. Lechem avirim. It's the bread, the Gemara says in Yuma, at the end, I inhale, the bread that angels eat. So the Jews ate it physically because it was very transparent. Their body was transparent. The body was aligned with the soul. So you eat God's bread, just like the Evid eats holy bread because the Evid is one with the Master. This is true about all the Jewish people. They are the kinyone, the acquisition of Hashem. am We say at the end of the Shirim, Parshas B'Shalach every day, Ad Yaver Amcha Hashem, Ad Yaver Amzu Kanisa. This nation that you acquired, it's the same words that the Torah uses to explain why the servant of the Kayan can eat the Truma. V'chiyikne ish, what does the Torah say? V'chiyikne, v'chayin k'yikne nefesh kinyin kaspoi. So of course he can eat the bread because he's Kenyan. He's part of the Kayan. He belongs to the Kayan. He's inside the Kayan, so to speak. He's part of the, the, the entity, the reality, the umbrella of the Kayan. The Jew is Amzu Kanisa, Eved Melech Melech. So you can eat Lechem Shemayim. Min Hadin, Lias Nezayim, Lechem Shemayim. So halachically, they could nurture themselves from the divine bread, just like the Eved of the Kayan. Min Adin. That's who you are. You have to understand who you are. Even if a Jew says, I'm an animal, I'm a behemoth, it's fine. You can also eat. The Pasuk says, my flock is the flock, my pasture, my marit, my sign. If it's my sign, so then even the behemoth can eat the bread of the Kayan. So if the behemoth can eat the bread of the Kayan, so therefore even when a person feels sometimes like they're in an animalistic state, that also belongs to Hashem. Don't think you're separate. God can own an animal too. Animals have their function. Sometimes a person could be in an animal state. You know, we have a divine soul and we have an Efesh We have an animal consciousness. Sometimes the animal consciousness is making a ruckus. You know, the puppy is barking pretty loud. You ever saw that or heard it? The puppy is barking. Okay. But you don't have to detach from the boss. You don't have to detach from the master. It's his puppy. It's his chicken. Sometimes I'm cuckoo-dee-cooing. But it's his chicken. It's his babe. It's his chaya. You can eat truma. You can take part of the divine food. The relationship is not interrupted. The relationship is just functioning. It's being facilitated through a certain venue, through a certain medium. Now I have to work through this part of my system. But it's Hashem working through this part. There's no separateness. And the Rambam tells us this Chiddush that we had in the earlier sources in source 3. Even the servant of a Kayan who runs away and even the wife of the Kayan who rebels are allowed to eat truma. You would think the servant, he's not home anymore. He left. He doesn't like the Kayan. He has issues with his Kayan. He ran away. He's hoping he's not going to be found. He may be found and will be returned. He's still allowed to eat truma. Why? I understand if he's in the house of the Kayan and he's working for the Kayan and he loves the Kayan. Fine, you're part of the family, you're part of the Mishpucha, as we say. But not this Evet, sorry. Borach, he ran away. Says the Rambam, no. 
he also eats truma. Why? Because the running away is ultimately an external reality. The running away from the Kayan is ultimately external. Sometimes you have a Jew. He's an Evid Kayan Shabarach. Consciously, I don't want to be in this house. I'm not interested. We say you could still eat God's food. How? Moshe Rabbeinu is not allowed to eat it. Moshe gets Misa. And I'm allowed to eat it. I ran away. I'm not interested in you. My voices are telling me that I'm not interested. But the relationship is innate. Yad Evid Kiyad Rabbi, we're still one. Ultimately, I'm going to come back. It's a temporary condition. As far as you may roam, you will always come back home. The old camp song. I'm not a poet. So therefore, even then, sometimes Eishas Kayan, every Jew is the wife of Hashem. Marda, I feel rebellious. I don't like this relationship. I'm not interested. So you would think, how could you give this woman truma? How can you give this servant truma? Why are you giving them truma? Truma is holy. They're not holy anymore. Says the Rambam, they are holy. She's still the Kayan's wife. You're married to Hashem. You're one with Hashem. You're still the Eved Melech Melech. How could you give them the holy food? Don't give them holy food. They left, throw them away. Says the Halacha, no. Never. On the contrary. Continue feeding them with this holy food. Why? Because you trust that they're holy. You know who they really are. Even if they don't know who they really are. And when you believe in them, they'll ultimately be able to find themselves, to discover themselves. On the contrary, in the truma there's holy sparks. That holiness will help the servant come back. You would think, deprive him from the bread. He doesn't deserve it. No. He needs the truma more than everybody else. Because the holiness of the truma will ultimately trigger and arouse and bring out who he truly is. And therefore he'll come back. And the oneness will ultimately emerge in its full splendor. Have a wonderful week. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.